Full Life Podcast. I'm your host, B. Getz, and this is episode number 37. And we're coming at you all the way live from the 215, Illadelph's Illist. You know how we do, Philadelphia, PA. Holler if you hear me. We are so grateful you are tuning in. Episode 37 of the Up Full Life podcast is brought to you by the Royal Potato Family. The Royal Potato Family is an independent recording label based in the Catskill Mountains area of New York State, featuring prolific modern American songwriters and musicians. Now, the Royal Potato Family was founded Marco Benevento and a fellow named Kevin Calabro. Now Marco's obviously a prolific and profound and very well-known piano player, organist, keyboardist, singer-songwriter, member of Joe Russo's Almost Dead, his own projects, and a very revered jazz cat in the game. Kevin Calabro, on the other hand, is somebody that I met in a different capacity when I worked with Jam Bass many years ago, and I've enjoyed watching Kevin build the Royal Potato Family brand into what it is today, which is a very respected and beloved independent record label. I'm not sure if they're operating out of Brooklyn now or moved to the Catskills or vice versa. I know Marco lives up in the Catskills, but that's their region. That's their vibe. They've got, of course, Marco, Seth Walker... Tom Hamilton's American Babies, Robert Walter, Mike Dillon's projects, Holly Bowling's projects, Lucas Nelson, the late great Neil Casal, Allison Miller, Superhuman Happiness, the list goes on, Nolatet, Garage a Trois. And the reason that I'm bringing attention to the Royal Potato Family, uh, aside from my fondness for the roster and the ethos, and of course, Kevin Calabro, is that uh, the Royal Potato Family is responsible for landing the Upful Life podcast, our guest for episode 37, one Carl Denson. 
So before we get into episode 37, I just wanted to shine a light and show some love to the Royal Potato family. You can follow them on all the socials. Google Royal Potato Family and you'll find their .com, their Instagram, their uh, Royal Potato on Twitter. With that, thank you, Kevin. And thank you, Royal Potato Family. Here's a little bit of Grey Boy All-Stars Complete Breakfast. Podcast episode 37. And if you were paying attention to the introduction, you heard this is coming to you from Philadelphia, PA. It's been a whirlwind few weeks since I last spoke with y'all. Hope everybody enjoyed the Black Burner Project's Aaron Douglas and my dear friend DJ Williams on the 36th Chamber. Feedback's been great. Appreciate those good folks for coming on the show uh in the interim uh the whole west coast is ablaze as i'm sure just about anybody who hasn't been under a rock is well aware we fled the bay area and grass valley which is our dual home bases uh for oregon where we enjoyed a week plus uh, in the Oregon wilderness with a stop off with our good friends, the Wildens in Portland. Uh, so thanks to Matt and Chris and Callie for hosting us. And uh, besides that, we were, we were in the sticks, as they say, and it was a joy and a privilege to be able to de- detach and go off grid without Wi-Fi, just sink into nature. And just as we were wrapping up that excursion to head back to the Bay, uh, Oregon, caught on fire uh, along with parts of Washington and really as I mentioned the whole west coast and we ventured back to the bay but the air quality there was horrible I'm sure you remember uh, the orange sky photographs that circulated online and it was pretty creepy and pretty uh, unhealthy and just weird energy and stuff and uh, my partner and I don't really have anything holding us down to the bay geographically at the moment it is still our home and We shall return, but for the first time since well before the COVID era, uh, I boarded an airplane. We, you know, masked up all the all the precautions and uh, flew to Philadelphia. So I am recording this podcast from my mom's crib where I'm quarantining with Alicia for several days before we get tested. And then we'll hit uh, the Jersey Shore, see my mom, ride some waves etc so that's the update i want to send love and strength and resolve and energy to everybody out west that's dealing with the fires 
their carnage, destruction, and the aftermath and rebuilding. And we'll be uh, bringing you different efforts and and happenings to you can donate or pay attention to any kind of musical events that are being planned to raise money to rebuild in the aftermath of yet another hardcore fire season underway on the west coast so we're lucky and privileged and fortunate to be able to come see family out here east in philly and that's really where it's at so i wanted to bring some attention to uh, the folks out there that need your prayers and energy and lastly i want to bring some attention to save our stages the national independent venue association hashtag save our stages time is indeed running out the mission of the national independent venue association and iva is to preserve and nurture the ecosystem of independent live music venues and promoters throughout the u.s this is their final push to congress there won't be another opportunity they need the save our stages act and the restart act passed in order to keep independent venues nationwide from closing permanently So please help them save our stages now. Your voice matters. Tell your legislators to save independent music venues. You can find that at saveourstages.com. No matter where you are, where you're listening from, please fill it out, get involved, and of course, vote. And uh, with that, that's kind of the update on the happenings since we last spoke. Please, I encourage you to check out uh, an interview with Adam Schmeens Smirnoff of Lettuce on urbanmusic.com and check out some recent stuff I dropped on Live for Live Music if you're so inclined. And with that, we'll get ready for episode 37's very special guest, Mr. Carl Denson. You're hearing DJ Greyboy, Unwind Your Mind, featuring Carl Denson. In the interview, you'll hear just why I am playing this tune. So we'll hear the end of that. And then I will introduce the diesel. This is the story of the tenor man. Tenor man, tenor man. Wow, cannot believe I'm introducing Carl D on my podcast right now. But before we get into the personalized intro, let's just tell those who don't know exactly who the Diesel is. Uh, He's a singer and saxophonist and flautist that fronts Carl Denson's Tiny Universe. He's a founding member of the Grey Boy All-Stars, whom you're hearing in the background right now. He came of age with Lenny Kravitz, who I basically swaggerjacked my whole shit from. And, uh, and you'll hear a little bit about that in the interview. But uh, Carl, uh, you know, the first three albums and subsequent world tours with Lenny. He also was a, and remains an accomplished jazz musician. And... Most recently, around 2014, he was drafted to be the successor of the late, great Bobby Keys in the world's greatest rock and roll band, the Rolling Stones. 
So that's Carl D. Uh, bio style. But there's obviously so much more to it. So much more to the tenor man. He does pour his soul into a tenor saxophone. And indeed has the language talking all his own. I fell in love with Carl D. for the first time, again, as you'll hear in the interview, uh, in 1997 at Club Toast in Burlington, Vermont, with the Grey Boy All-Stars. I went in to the experience relatively uninitiated, and I came away converted, and with that, uh, took home the album West Coast Boogaloo. And that was the opening of the floodgates for me with jazz, funk, rare groove, soul, boogaloo, whatever you want to say. That Blue Note, Rudy Van Gelder, Inglewood Cliffs, or CTI, or Verve, that just that butterfly collars and bell bottoms vibe I was seeking. Carl opened the door to Pandora's box. And shortly after that, I fell in love with D'Angelo and the blackness of that music, the authenticity of that soul which was at once a throwback and also of the now and you know naturally d'angelo uh disappeared but i found carl d at jazz fest that very same year of 2000 performing with the tiny universe which was not the same thing as the gray boys who i knew and loved uh it was uh, you know in the vein of the same heroes uh, whom D'Angelo mined for the Soultronics, Soulquarian voodoo experience. And then, wouldn't you know, Carl D. didn't just reign supreme late night at Jazz Fest, but he became a fixture in all the sort of neo-hippie jam band festivals, jam crews, etc. Uh, that whole diaspora is where I swam and continue to swim personally, professionally, spiritually, you know, culturally. And, and he has been omnipresent through that journey over the past 23 plus years. Uh, other than the fish from Vermont, he's the musician I have seen perform live the most over 150 times. And through different eras, different configurations of the tiny universe, uh, of course, the Grey Boys, past and present, myriad super jams. And I've uh, chronicled his career through the years, going back to the early days with Jam Bass. I would get in the minivan and do a five-show run and then write it up um, and found myself, you know, really mining the depths of what their catalog, the Tiny Universe and Grey Boys catalogs uh, opened up to me and with that you know have developed a lifelong passion for jazz funk rare groove and then of course the seeds of hip-hop are sown into all that music as well and, and we extrapolate on that in this interview and I don't want to give it all away but I did want to express just how important and landmark this interview is for me professionally and personally and for all the time I've spent chasing this man around the continent and writing about his career, this is really the first proper interview we did in 72 minutes. And, uh, you know, nary a stone unturned. 
and still a lot on the table for a part due down the road, hopefully in person. But to get Carl on the phone, again, thanks to Kevin at Royal Potato Family, uh, and just have him to say, you know, let's chat and take it where he did is a testament to who he is as a man, as a human being, as a musician, artist, uh, friend, leader, and all of that and so much more is revealed in this conversation. So uh, the tenor man has arrived, Carl Denson, the man we affectionately call the Diesel. Just over an hour and I am so proud of this powwow. Without any further ado, I bring to you Carl Denson of the Grey Boy All-Stars and Tiny Universe. On episode 37 of the Upful Life podcast, I'm your host, B. Getz. This is the tenor man. Yes, indeedy. The tenor man is playing what he's feeling, what he's feeling. Tenor man, tenor man. Gentlemen, gentlemen. Hey, Carl. All right. How are you doing, my friend? I am doing awesome. Right on. That's great to hear. Yeah. Know. And I'm talking to you. You're down in San Diego now? I am at home. Right on. God. Well, I wanted to thank you for the opportunity to, to rap with you, as you know. It's a long time in the making, and I know your time's valuable. And uh, so first, just want to say thanks for making <laughs> right, it. Right now, Getz, I'm not doing shit. <laughs> Fair enough. I'm uh, sitting around, so it's good to hear from you. Yeah, likewise, likewise. And uh, before we get into the music stuff, since we are sitting around and we've been home for a while, uh, what are you doing with your time, whether it's musically or spiritually, fitness-wise? How are you filling your days? All of the above, man. I'm I'm uh, I'm learning I'm learning guitar. That's been the that's been the really the the fun thing. And I'm I'm uh, I'm learning guitar, and I'm um, I'm going to be able to sing and play play my songs here in in a little while. Um, and then I'm uh, I'm also um, almost done with a uh, with a sci-fi television like a, a TV show script that I'm working on. And uh, writing a lot of songs and playing the saxophone and exercising and you know I'm I'm living living the good life right now. It's it's very very enjoyable. I never get to be home this much, you know. And um, and I'm I'm making the making the best of it. And and I and I feel like the the uh, the low the low stress is is definitely healthy for me. Oh, I'm sure. And that seems to be a common uh, reply I've been hearing from musicians of all kinds. You know, they're seeing the silver linings of this slowdown where they can yeah. really spend time doing things they otherwise don't have time for. And yeah, you know, if we, could, if, we can, if we can keep the government focused on taking care of us while they, while they screw the pooch with this virus, you know, and not, and not just screwing everybody, you know, and... and, and you know, no more, no more unemployment. I, I think for 
for a lot of people just that that uh that government unemployment you know with the fact that we can't we don't have jobs has allowed people to to actually gather themselves a bit you know sure and yeah it's definitely going to see some uh some differences with the the unemployment ending and and hopefully there'll be some you know tangible legislation to to help people because we're we're about to hit a wall and and I think yep. that that's what music is important for I mean it sounds trite but uh, music has been really what's getting all of us through it's what brings us together it's funny you bring up the guitar because I remember I was reading some of the stuff I've written about your performances through the years to prepare for this and you started breaking the guitar out you know 6 7 years ago for a song or two here and there and right. uh, and now it's pretty cool that you know you're feeling like you're going to be playing your your own music on stage on guitar you know it's yeah, a hell of yeah. a journey Yeah Cool man it, it, It's it's it is kind of it, it was definitely um you know, once once I started, you know, staying home and actually started writing new songs and just like guitar is such a great writing tool that, um, you know, now having had all this time, I'm actually starting to starting to play it pretty, pretty decently, you know, I have no doubt, you know, I've been watching you. Uh, I was thinking back, you know, all the way back to the. The first time I saw Grey Boy All-Stars was uh, I was a freshman in college in Burlington, Vermont. You played two nights at Club Toast. And uh, a friend of mine, who I opinion I valued greatly, said, this is a can't miss. And that was really my introduction to you as an artist. Little did I know at the time that I'd already loved your work on Let Love Rule and Mama Said. But um, that was really like my, I left that, that two-show engagement at Club Toast with a CD of... West Coast Boogaloo, and and I know that you're re-releasing that landmark LP on vinyl. So I kind of wanted to maybe start there, if if that's cool. It's colored vinyl, by the way. Even better. Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty cool looking. Uh, I look forward to it. Yeah, a bunch of us are gonna grab that. You know, like it's a collector's item, and it's a seminal album for so many of us. It really unlocked the door. For a whole generation of of people to not just the Grey Boy All Stars, but the music that inspired you, uh, of course, right. you had Fred Wesley on the record, and I just wanted to know any reflections you might have of of like that whole thing coming together, that era of the Grey Boys, a sort of embryonic phase from from the West Coast Boogaloo, and even before with DJ Grey Boy and and the early San Diego scene. Well, um, you know, it was. Uh it was just such a surprise, I think, really, was the, you know, my, my, my main, um, takeaway from that was, was, you know, I had been, I had been kind of working with Crayboy, um, you know, we did the, we did the, uh, Unwind Your Mind, yes. you know, and Gray's Groove back in 92. And that was awesome because I, I was, I was traveling with Lenny Kravitz and Fred Wesley in Europe, in Europe, and, uh, you know, and I would go to clubs. I'd go to go to clubs, and um, you know, after the shows, and you know, these little these little uh, acid jazz clubs, you know, DJ clubs, and I would hear freaking unwind your mind in Europe, you know, and wow. so it was really, 
you know, it was a, it was an amazing thing. And then I came home, and um, you know, my my career started taking off. You know, my own I got my own record deal. I put out my my first record was was ninety two also, and um, so it was, it was like a big year. And I started working with Fred Wesley at that point, and and I was doing the Lenny Kravitz thing. And then I then I I, I decided to, to break away from Lenny and do my own thing. Um, in '93, so I left Lenny in the in the fall of '93, and literally, um, you know, just got home pretty much. And Grayboy goes, "Hey, I'm putting a band together to do my my record release party." And so in December, I walk into a garage, and there are the other four guys, and you know, we're just basically you know trying to make some music for for um, for Grace party and it's you know we're playing those these tunes these these um you know Rusty Bryant and uh you know Sonny Stitt and uh, you know and uh and the pocket is amazing and I'm just like whoa these guys feel good you know it was like nobody was a jazz player Robert Walter didn't even have a left hand at the time he was <laughs> Yeah, you know what I mean. He was a right-handed piano player, but he had good ideas. And 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 Elgin, you know, he's a he's a freaking the greatest jazz hack ever on <laughs> earth. You know, like he was just he was totally a rock guy, and um, you know, and just had a feel. You know, everybody had great feel. So, you know, and then Zach on drums and Chris on bass. It was just like wow. This is really fun, you know, immediately. So, you know, by the time we had done a couple of rehearsals for this show um, in San Francisco, I was already, you know, thinking, wow, I got I to gotta figure out how to get some more gigs so we can keep playing because this is really good. And, and, and that was really, like, just how the whole thing began. It was just this organic um, convergence, you know, where, where we just ended up in the same room together and looked at each other and went, oh, <laughs> this is kind of fun, you know? Yeah. Here we are 25 years later. That's amazing that you break it down like that because we've been fans of this whole era for so long. And I, as you know, I'm diehard, all things, you know, Denson and Gray Boy. But I never really connected the dots quite like that, where that's how it all came together from you stepping off. I guess it was right around early. Are you going to go my way if that's 93 and just hopping off doing yeah. doing a record? You were doing like more straight ahead jazz stuff in those days, uh, your yeah. solo stuff. And then, uh, you know, I have a signed vinyl of uh, Land of the Lost and Freestyling. You know, those are like uh, essential records for a lot of us who were like, you know, jam band kids who weren't really familiar with jazz or the real depths of hip hop. And uh, and those Grey Boy records, DJ Grey Boy records, and then of course, West Coast Boogaloo really was like the key to the kingdom for yeah. a lot of us. And, and when I was talking to Robert Walter like a year and a half ago, kind of about this era, he was saying, you know, the, miraculously or cosmically, there was the flood of of kids like us, the jam kids who came up on the Grateful Dead or whatever, right around when Jerry died, ninety five, twenty five years ago this week, as a matter of fact, and. Uh, that was really like a uh, revolutionary, like uh, you were going to jazz clubs and DJ nights. And then all of a sudden, a bunch of pot smoking, stinky hippies started coming to the gigs. Did so you... J Jerry died 25 years ago this week. 
Wow. Yeah, August 9th on so, Sunday. So, yeah, so we happened right when he died. Yeah, it was cosmic. That's really amazing. Yeah. Yeah, because because you know, it was it was we started playing and we were doing the like at that point we were still chic and it was like DJ music, you know? Yeah. So we were playing like real dance clubs and DJ clubs. And then after maybe a, a year or two into it, the DJ clubs went more house and like oh they went they went um drum and bass. Sure. And so and so we didn't follow that trend. We stayed where we were and um and Eric, our manager at the time, he kind of funneled us into the jam band scene by we started playing um playing like late night, you know, after parties, you know, for for when Fish was in town or when the dead was in town or or um or, you know, the widespread panic thing, yeah. you know. That's that's how we discovered you guys. Yeah, it was really, it was amazing sort of coming together of different scenes and, and again, like with the whole end of the dead thing happening, it was just really a, a fertile time for, for music that jammed and that took you on a ride, I think is really the congruent thing. Is sort of the yes. improvisational what if factor and the adventurous ride, and every version being different. There's a the music's not the same, but there's a lot of principles and that yeah. are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I definitely have always thought that the jam band scene is, is, you know, to a great extent, a real jazz scene. Definitely an extension of that. I think that those those real exploratory Coltrane, Miles, Ornette Coleman stuff is what inspired Garcia to go to outer space in the first place. Right. He right. was a banjo player, and then he he got hit to LSD and Coltrane, and it was right. off, off to Saturn. Right. But yeah, I mean, I, I've always really been drawn to the whole, like, boogaloo, rare groove ethos Uh Primarily because of of the Gray Boys, and I mean, eventually I you know got hip to the Tiny Universe, and that unlocked a whole different world of black music for me. But with the Gray Boys, it was like you know you were on stage with Fred Wesley, Melvin Sparks, you know. To us, right. these were pre-internet where we could just we had to go to like the computer lab and log on to AOL dial-up <laughs> to like see about these guys that you know we couldn't take it out our phone and, and Google up who's, right. who's Melvin Sparks. But, right. but those were such, imp- you know, you had Melvin with you at Toast a few times and down at Jazz Fest and stuff. Oh, and, yeah, yeah. And that really opened up the floodgates for us. So let me just say thanks for just the keys to the kingdom there. You're, you're very welcome. So at what point in time uh, did you guys realize that, you know, this wasn't just like uh, a, a, a side thing or just like a sort of, you know, something you're doing adjacent to the, Carl Denson, the artist? When did you realize, like... Uh, Gray boys are going places. Do you have any like gigs that really stand out where it was like kind of like apex mountain, like uh, a moment where you're like, shit, we're fucking doing it. You know what, man? It was, um, it wasn't, it wasn't like we were, we didn't have any like, uh, uh, you know, grandiose plans or anything. It was more like just, we were having fun and we were doing what we liked. And I guess, I guess at that point, like, Within within that first year, um, we were we went from playing like a, there was a Wednesday night that we did in San Diego, famous place, um, the Green Circle, 
which which DJ Grayboy was was um, had been spinning there on Wednesday nights for for a while, and so he put us into the uh, into the mix with him on Wednesday, and that thing blew out, man. It was like, I mean, literally the room at the when we first started, the room probably held seventy people at at the most, and and we would put you know, a few hundred people through there on a Wednesday night. And then they took over the next the, the, the next room, which was another, say, another 70, 100 people. So say we could get 200 people in that in that place. And we would we would run 600, 700 people through there a night. Damn. And, and it was just like a buzz, you know. And then within a short amount of time, everybody, every club in town, you know, you had a proliferation of bands like us. You know, the price of dope, and uh, uh, that's the only name I could think of off the top of my head. But there was Freaking a great band, band name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. A, yeah, and it, it was there was a bunch of them, and um, um, price of dope was Chimmy's band. You know, Chimmy. Sure, of course. Yeah, yeah. It was, that was Chimmy's band, and um, um. You know, and so then all of a sudden all these clubs started doing this music. So we could literally play six, seven nights a week at home. You know, and, and then we'd make a, you know, quick jaunt up to San Francisco once a month and play the Elbow Room and, um, and San Jose and uh, Santa Cruz, you know, and it was just like, we were just, you know, making music man and and we're and we and for me especially you know being a real jazz guy i was like dude we are getting away with murder here we're playing (laughs) we're playing horace silver in a rock club right now you know like i was completely aware of what was going on and it was blowing my mind you know i guess to like a jazz traditionalist there's a certain amount of sacrilege or or audacity to that, but how else are you going to reach reach the masses? You know. Yeah, I mean, there wasn't any. I mean, I, to those guys, if they, yeah, if you can't see the the beauty of that, then you're just missing the point. Because Horace Silver, it's like, you know, you're listening to James Brown, and then you think of where did James Brown come from? Right. James Brown came from Horace Silver, and from Lee Morgan, and from all that stuff. You know what I mean? So we were playing the we were playing the roots of that in a in a in a dance setting. It was you know it was just mind blowing. You know I I literally can remember you know fifty times being on stage and just looking around and going I'm playing freaking a uh, 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 Wayne Shorter tune right now. You know like we're playing uh, Tom Thumb and people are dancing. You know and you're like this is insane. That's amazing. And it's just fortuitous cosmic occurrences with the whole void of, of, of the dead and you, the scene you're describing, the SoCal scene you mentioned, and of course up here in the Bay, is a fertile ground for like that sort of acid jazz, sort of uh, avant-garde dance music with live instruments, really right. like fertile. And also it's, it's a place where there's a lot of psychedelic music once lived and they were looking for something new that was still old and authentic. And, and you and you had the convergence of the hip hop. I mean, that's where it really came from was right. the fact that the hip hop, the DJs ran out of of rock records to sample, and they started sampling jazz records. 
Yeah, you know? endless well. I thought you you delivered me so many samples through the years through all your projects. It, yeah, it really is like a hip hop encyclopedia. Yeah, exactly. And so we were. That was that was where 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 I found it was. You know, in the dance clubs, all of a sudden you had this. You know, the uh, the um, uh, diggable planets and um, you, you know, and tribe called Quest and yeah. all that stuff. Where where all uh, you know, um, Guru, where they where they started grabbing these these cool samples from jazz records you know Ahmad Jamal samples and stuff and that was like where I my my I perked up at that point I was like whoa I know that you know and I I've lived that and and that's when I was like okay something's happening and I need to be on it and that's when I met Gray Boy and and we were both talking about the same music Boogaloo you know, and then and then it, it it morphed into that. You know, it's just it was such a it's such a convergence. You know, and then you're coming from the other side with the Grateful Dead, and it's just it, it's such a beautiful um um you know uh, building that was that was constructed. Definitely, definitely, and it brought a lot. Like when we were college aged, you know, it brought a lot of us together. You know, you were like a unifying thing that could bring the hip hop kids or the jazz bows or the jam kids. We could all sit around and, and have a beer or smoke one and put on West Coast Boogaloo and talk about it and introduce us to all kind like, you know, uh, yeah, all yeah. kinds of, of whether it's samples or the music of Cool in the Gang. Like I was familiar with their like bubblegum 80s stuff back then. I didn't know they were this essential <laughs> 70s funk band until I heard Let the Music Take Your Mind. Right. And, and that, again, was like the keys to the kingdom. But uh, let's fast forward to the now because I know you also dropped a brand new record, which I've gotten pretty familiar with over the past couple of weeks. We were, we were the beginning of this record. This record was kind of built in a few sessions, but the main, the main session that happened was we were in Texas and our gig got rained out. And there was like a, like a crazy flood that happened. And so we, um, rather than just sitting around in our hotel, we were like, well, let's get, let's, let's, let's run a studio and um and so yeah so we actually rented the studio for a couple of days and and um went in the went in and just wrote tunes and we were literally you know this band the the this band is so prolific like i would love you know for a time to come when when i could do nothing but this for a while because i mean we literally can write a song an hour I've I've seen it wow. so many times where we'll write really good songs like one an hour just cranking it out and like really and you know and pretty intricate like when you take the the the, the germ of the idea and then where it ends up an hour later it's pretty amazing and 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 it's and it's never been a problem with this band Right on. So, so the the I guess it was Dallas, right? The the rain out. Yeah. And you had a session, yeah. but but yeah. In the press release, it said something about a house in L.A. Studio sixty four and just cranking them out. So I guess you oh, fi- yeah, that's how you yeah, finished yeah, the record. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, yeah, I think so. Cool. It, yeah, it's got a really Latin feel. That was my first takeaway. Just a, a lot of flute from you, a lot of Latin. Was that a concerted effort? Maybe that's the Texas influence. No, man. It was. Uh, it was more of a. It's more of a a, a nod to Simonde. Ah, 
Yeah. You know, it's kind of kind of Latin but Caribbean and Yeah, there's yeah. tropical vibes. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And definitely, you know, a sort of subtle, you know, uh inspirational message, especially with the lyrics and stuff with the the right. title track. Um was that a, again, was that a conscientious effort like the people need you know, a rallying cry? Was that something you were feeling, a collective band thing? Well, Mike wrote those lyrics, and I think, and, and that tune, I think I think all of it's kind of a nod to the Samande kind of, uh, um, you know, 70s positivity stuff, you know, like like where all that stuff was kind of really about, like, and, and it just it just turned out that we ended up with this, you know, political situation that we're in now, and... Um, you know, so it so it, it it's kind of a a, a a good it's a good uh, coincidence that we were we were feeling it in the same way. You know, so that it became timely. It's very timely, um, very timely, and also subtle. It's not whacking you over the head with uh, it or on the nose, as they say. It's, it's right. You know, it's subtle and kind of infectious. Um, yeah, I, I was really interested just hearing about how that message came together because it's just very apropos my favorite cut on the album is born into space again another killer flute cut do you have a uh -huh. do you have like a, a personal fave on the new album um i think um um executive party right on is, is my favorite and then um and then uh and complete breakfast <laughs> great great song name right there yeah i love i love that song too Cool. Yeah, we're definitely going to play uh, some snippets on the podcast, of course, and uh, on the print interview, we'll embed some of these tunes so people can check them out. Um, so, yeah, I, I've been always wanting to ask about the Lenny stuff. You probably don't really know this about me, but, like, I was hard, am hardcore Lenny fan since the beginning, like Let Love Rule uh -huh. era. Uh, with the dreads and the big collars and bell bottoms, I swagger jacked my whole steez from Lenny. <laughs> From the beginning, you know, That's I, awesome. I, and I will cop to it right now. He gave me all the whole blueprint. Uh, I'm going to tell him you said that. Oh, it would be an honor. You know, it's funny. It's funny because um, um, just I, I, I drove my daughter out last weekend to to um, Arizona to, to set her up and, and at her uh, new place for college for her senior year. And we are sitting Having um, having dinner outside a Mexican restaurant, just got ordered some food to go. Sitting in the car, and I get a I get a FaceTime call from a from a from an LA number, and uh, but I don't know who it is, so I don't answer it. And then uh, right right behind it is a text, you know, it's it's LK, and so I I I call him back, and we had a nice FaceTime, so. I've been actually, I've, I had a couple of FaceTimes with him in the last week, for, which is the first time in a long time. It's been, it was really nice just to, awesome. to, to reconnect. I bet. Yeah, you know, it's, it's hard to really put into words what that music meant to me, like, coming up. And if, if I was making a list of Desert Island albums, you know, you've got a couple on there, West Coast Boogaloo and uh, Mama Said. Um, yeah. Uh, did, did the baseball player Gary Templeton introduce you, the Padres player? Yes. Can, to, can you, to, to, to Gray Boy. To Gray Boy. Okay, not not to Lenny, but to Gray Boy. No, no, to Gray Boy. How did that happen? Gary, um, Gary, we went to high school together. So um, he graduated the year before me, 
and him and my brother are still very tight. Like they golf together, they're they're very very tight over all these years. And my my brother graduated four, uh, three years before, four years before Gary, three years before Gary, and um, Gary had a friend, Flynn, I think was his name, and um, Flynn knew Gray Boy, and. So there was like this, uh, I, I don't know exactly how it worked out, but it was, it was Gary's friend Flynn who met Grayboy and then they told him about me. And then Grayboy showed up at a club. I, we, I used to play with this, with this friend of mine, um, Derek Bordeaux in Laguna Beach regularly on like, I think it was a Sunday gig or some weekend thing that we did. And, and uh, and Grayboy showed up, and Flynn introduced me, and then we started talking, and and the fact that we were, you know, that he knew what Boogaloo was 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 a clincher for me, and um, and so I went down from there. I went down to San Diego, and you know, doing some recording with him, and that's where Unwind Your Mind came, and and Gray's Groove, and um, and that was the beginning of it. Gotcha. That's good to get it straight. Because I always wondered what the connection with Gary Templeton was, but now that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. And th those unwind your mind. It, it's funny you bring that up because we we had some connection. A buddy of mine in in college had a connection with somebody at Ubiquity Records. Again, this is pre-internet, uh -huh. and he pulled some monies together, and we got a box of all these different vinyls, of many of which I still have. And uh, there was a home cooking compilation that had the mm -hmm. unwind your mind on it, and with the introduction from live at the lighthouse was like sampled in the beginning yes uh, and it's like such an essential part of just my psyche and I, every once in a blue moon with tiny universe you'll quote that solo you did it at one of the lenny shows it's just right. you know so i think i'm going to definitely play unwind your mind on the pod just because that's really back where it all began and you've referenced it a couple times it's really a yeah. seminal song it really is it really is I want to talk a little tiny universe though. Obviously, you know, that's, that's really where I've most connected with you over the years. And I've said on the podcast a few times, I had Chris Littlefield on recently, other than uh -huh. fish, tiny universe of the band I've seen more than any other, which is over 150 times going nice. to 2000. And I'll never forget, man, ja you, I went to jazz fest to see like the oyster head first show at Superfly uh, Sanger theater in May of 2000. That's what got me there from Vermont. Right. Um, and I was familiar with you through the Grey Boys, but you were billed as the sidecar project. It was Grey Boy All-Star Sidecar Project, Carl Denson's Tiny Universe, and you were <laughs> playing late nights at like the old Helen Wolf and tips. That that was before that was before two thousand. That was that was probably ninety eight, ninety nine when we were still the sidecar, sidecar project. project. Right. Yeah. yeah. The, the show I guess the the sort of the show I got religion at was uh -huh. the was those late 2000. Night, 2000 late nights where I went for, for the, cause I was a fish head and wanted to see oyster head, but the best shows and the ones that stuck with me most were yours. And as you know, I've, you know, followed your career doggedly, like dedicated ever since. And yes. uh, it's been a, 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 like a life education in black music for somebody like me who, you know, my mom played me Roberta Flack and, and Nina Simone and Anita Baker and Stevie wonder but I right. really didn't have a frame of reference for the annals of black music. Little did I know that that's what courses through my veins. 
is yeah, the music yeah. that that made you and the music that you make. So I just wanted to maybe take it back, like to the the early days of KDTU, where like you would really um, you'd be playing to primarily white audience, and you'd be playing re- this is before the rock element really became prevalent in the Tony universe. It was all R and B and soul and groove music. I was just playing. I consider what I do really was was more about the dance element. Of, yes. Like like I was trying to I was trying to express the dance element of jazz. So that's really you know I was I'm a jazz guy. So my my real bent was I'm gonna I want to show everybody the dance element of jazz. So I'm, we're gonna play changes. We're gonna play you know popular jazz forms. Um, but we're going to make it dance music because I look at like Louis Armstrong and, um, you know, and Horace Silver and, um, 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 you know, um, Duke Ellington, all that stuff was dance music. And I think, you know, as a jazz player, I got, I was always frustrated with the fact that, um, you know, the intellectualization of jazz kind of left the, the dance element in the, in the wake. And, but at the same time, I, I saw the, the relevance of like, you know, how jazz started as dance music and then it turned into rock and roll and then it turned into soul and then it turned into funk and then it turned into hip hop, you know. So it was really more of a a nod to that that lineage. Yeah, so well stated. That's really, really, uh, you can draw a line from the generations and the evolutions and and yeah, the Tiny Universe exactly. embodied that. I mean, I, I wouldn't know about, you know, everything from obscure JB songs to Big Maceo, Merriweather, all kinds of stuff that you put on our radar that then sends us digging the crates. And and it's all really rooted in that, that jazz aesthetic. And like you said a bunch of times, that's you're a jazz guy first. And, yeah. But that's definitively dance music. And I, I think what drew me so often to it was obviously the authenticity and the education and, and the sort of realness behind it. But also it was a place to go dance with beautiful girls because there was always a lot of really like uh, enthusiastic, vibey women in the front few rows of Tiny Universe shows. And it was all good. It wasn't some weird shit. It was like, we're here to boogie. And I met, you know, we're talking about Nina and Brandy and all those girls from back in the day showed me what time it was. Once, ag- once again, once again, that, that, there's another moment where I'm just laughing inside, playing the music that I'm playing with beautiful women in the audience, and I'm just thinking I'm getting away with murder up here. You know? <laughs> like it, it was just. I mean, um, there was a point I remember years ago where where um, um, Zach Zach was playing in the band, and he was he was kind of in a in a his own existential crisis in life. And, and so he just wasn't able to enjoy it, you know? And I just remember looking back at him one night and, you know, having the greatest time and, and he was just miserable because he just couldn't enjoy the scene. And I was just looking at him like, man, I can't believe you don't understand where you are right now. This (laughs) is like the best place on earth. You're playing your instrument you're playing good music, and you and you and people are happy, and there's beautiful women all over the place. <laughs> yeah, I mean, 
you know, people have their reasons. I remember when he left the Ten Universe and, and you got John Staten and the, the shift. But, yeah, Zach was great. And those were the days, man. I mean, that yeah. really showed me what was possible in a music community, just like following you around the up and down the East Coast, Paradise in Boston, Bowery Ballroom, Irving Plaza, TLA, Philly, the 930. And then, of course, down at Jazz Fest. There's just a really wonderful community of music heads from all yes. over that yes. coalesced around your band, and they're still my amazing. friends to this day. Yeah. So yeah, again, I, I actually, I actually, I got a, I got a, uh, I got a text from Nina this morning with a with something on YouTube that I got to look at later and 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 get back to her. That's awesome. Yeah, those those ladies showed me how to get down, and I was when I was preparing for this interview, I was thinking back. And listening back to a lot of that stuff, I also talked to Chris and DJ recently. So I, I played a lot of Tiny Universe over the past month. And I was thinking back to how you, the, forever burned in the annals of our brains is you, at the beginning of Groove On, you taught us how to get correct before we <laughs> holler. And how to respectfully and responsibly holler, but make sure we got ourselves correct first. Right. And those are words to live by. I mean, that's how I leave the house for the club. That's how me and my lady step in the name of love. Like, I yeah. got it from from you and that era and that vibe. And, you know, so that's what kept all of us coming back and keeps us coming back. Yeah, that's uh, that's hilarious. I forgot about the little, my little nightly speech. Oh, man. It was so funny. It was so good, you know. I always hear it when I'm popping my collar on the way out the door. Right. That's awesome. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about the here and now with the Tiny Universe. I, again, I talked to Littlefield the other day, and he was very, very complimentary, enthusiastic about gnomes and badgers, not just from a musical standpoint, but from messaging, from the ideas, and the sort of what you're asking of people, like, culturally in, uh -huh. the, in the music. Can you touch on that a little bit? Because you were a, a little bit ahead of the tidal wave of division. You, you saw it coming. Obviously, we had our political situation was already underway, but... You know, quite a bit has happened since you dropped the record. It's it's so relevant. It's so necessary. Yeah, you know what, man? I'm I'm uh, the gnomes and badgers thing. Um, you know, I'm gonna I'm going to uh, I'm not much for the I'm not much for the internet, but I'm going to do some more. I'm I'm going to get my my thing together here shortly and and actually start doing some being more active as we get towards this election. Um, and um. You know, it's just the, uh, you know, as a, I'm a, I'm a follower of Christ, you know, have been my whole life. And, uh, and I, and I had a, I had a, I had a bit of a crisis, or, you know, 10, 15 years ago where, where I realized I'm not really down with, with kind of what's going on in here, you know? And so yeah. it's given me a, it's given me a perspective of of um, it's given me a, a a good perspective being able to look at the at both sides, you know. And um, and now and now we've gotten to the point where where the, the you know the people that call themselves Christians you know out loud, um, I don't think Jesus would recognize them at all. You know, in their in their motivations and their and their you know, like they've kind of we've kind of taken this. Um, it's just a lack of grace, you know. Like 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 God is about grace, 
and and that's really what I'm trying to trying to um, emit, you know, and 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 promote with my with my music is is grace and grace grace isn't grace isn't the grace God gives to you. That's not what grace is. That's not the grace of God. The grace of God is what you give to other people. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And so, so when you when you don't when you can't look at a gay person or a or a woman or a black person or, or you know anybody as just a human being first, and give them the grace that they deserve, then then that's where we're missing the point. And and I I just saw it. I, I see it building, you know, and I've been seeing it building for the last 20 years, you know, and, yes. um, you know, from having been in that community, you know, and having had to um, reconcile myself to these, to these, um, you know, pasty white guys, you know, who were Christians and I'm a Christian. So I was like, okay, we're on the same team. Right. Right. You know, and then, then realizing, damn, we're not on the same team. You know, we're on way, way different teams, you know, like that's where that's where I am now. And that's kind of what Gnomes and Badgers is, is, you know, you think it's time to win, but I think it's time to pray. You know, that's really what the whole thing is about. And so, you know, we'll 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 get there. I, I, I honestly believe we're going to get there because, um, you know, history, history generally moves in a in a you know, a corrective direction. So, you know, we're, we're, we're going through a correction right now, hopefully. Indeed. Wow, man, that was deep and uh, really personal. And I just want to honor the fact that you took it there because, you know, when I asked about the music and the, and the politics or the division, like I really didn't consider the sort of, you know, spiritual or religious element of it, but well, you know, I, I think I think everybody misses that man, and 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 I wish I wish um, that's really why I got to get off my ass and and really talk about this stuff, you know, because that's what's missing from the public dialogue. I think I think in general the the gnomes and badgers idea came from the fact that somebody like you, by not knowing kind of the religious significance of what's going on politically. Um, it's easy for you to look at the the people that are on the wrong side of the of the of the facts and go, wow, you guys are just freaking dumb. What what's up with that? You know, and 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 they look at you like, well, you're you know not following God and all this stuff, and and it's not and it's not out of uh, it's some of it's not out of just uh, malice. It's just out of ignorance of the other's perspective. But I read the Bible, like I read the freaking Bible. I know the Bible very well, and I and and as I've grown as a human being, there's there's been moments where I'm you know in my car or in my house thinking my thoughts and going, is it all right to think that? You know, because yeah. I'm because I've been indoctrinated. Like I'm I'm you know, and I had to I had to come to grips with. I don't really. I'm not. I I can't really justify that. I can't justify that. I can justify that, and I can justify that, and that's you know hopefully going to make me a better person in my life, you know, and and in your life, I'm going to be a better person in your life, and like and I'm gonna, and I'm going to be consistent, you know. That's that's the thing that 
that drives me crazy is you know just the the natural inconsistency of 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 faulty belief. Uh, it's rampant now too. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. And, and and yeah, man, that's keeping it one hundred, as they say. And and I gotta acknowledge, since you went there, like I deal with that. I was born and raised Jewish, you know, bar, right. bar mitzvah in Israel, Hebrew school, all the way till I'm sixteen, confirmed. You name it, and all the summer camps and extracurriculars, and right. somewhere along the way, I've recognized a similar disconnect between you know how I saw things and how the the Jewish community of which I was brought up and I'm a member sees it. And that's only been further uh, divided over the years. And, and, you know, without getting super intense about it, you know, I'm somewhat estranged, not from my connection to God, but from the community because I don't necessarily fall in line with the politics and, and how Israel and, and all that stuff. And, and it, yes. it makes me feel some type of way, like I'm ostracized from my people because I won't fall in line, but I, my convictions are what they are. So to hear but that that's what you're making the music about is really, it reaffirms those, my own beliefs. Yeah, yeah, because you know what, man? We got to grow up as human beings, and we got to grow up. Each of us really has to spend the time growing up. And when you look at, you know, like like my, my, my sister texted me the other day and was like, you know, what's wrong with these people? Like, you know, with the mask thing and like... You know, just the, the nonsense of it. And I said, you know what, man? There's people out there who believe in magic. Magical and, thinking, correct. And, 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 but they also realize that there is no magic. You know, and rather than just changing their perspective and going, you know what? God made math. Therefore, let me, let me figure out what the math says, you know? And um, they, so it's making them crazy. It's we have a we have a very crazy um, side of of thinking. And then you also, and then on the other side, the, this is the crazy part: is that on the other side, on the uh, on the the badger side of the 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 more you know quote unquote enlightened side, sometimes they um, have thrown the baby out with the bathwater. In terms of the wisdom of the word, you know, 100%. like, 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 I, I understand the wisdom of the Bible, you know, so I adhere to the wisdom. I try to adhere to the wisdom of the Bible without getting caught up in the, in the, uh, in the, in the book of rules concept, you know, and so that I can actually be of, of use to myself and everybody else. And I think sometimes, you know, like the cancel culture you know, um, they're doing great work in terms of, of holding us accountable, but sometimes the, the lack of nuance, you know, of thinking everything's exactly the same is, is, um, it's, it's detrimental because it, 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 they, they inflict harm where they don't need to, where if they were actually listening and, and dialoguing, um, human to human, um, and caring about people human to human, they could we could get a lot farther, you know. So it, it, there's there's problems on both sides. I I think the uh, I, I think the um, from my from my perspective, the left right now in over caring for people is much better than the right not caring for people. 
and just caring about rules. I mean, from your lips to jaw ears, as the Rastaman says, like, yeah, I, I, uh, for real. And and I would have to concur, you know, I'm a card-carrying lefty, liberal, whatever, and I'm having the hardest and most troubling dialogues on my own team, which is, <laughs> it's strange. Yes. You know, but I that's kind of where we are right now. It, we're and, just overreacting to everything right now. Yeah, and that's why, you know, I really, on one side of the coin, we started this conversation with um, how this has been a wonderful time in a lot of ways for personal, you know, growth, inner work, family, hobbies, passions. But again, all this time and the immediacy of social media and the, you know, 60 second news cycle and the reactionary nature, it's a very troubling and frightening time, you know, because all we have is time. And hence the arguments and the divisions and, and the rhetoric. It's pretty excruciating, man. You talk about staying off the internet. You're lucky. I have to work on the internet. So I see yeah. it all every day. And, and it's rough, man. Yeah. I mean, people are, um, yeah, I, I agree. I, I, I went out there, you know, every once in a while I look up something, you know, I want to see something and, you know, somebody says something or somebody does something. And then, you know, those times that I go and actually look at the comments below, it's just so horrifying. So bad, man. You know, just like it makes me really sad. And and then you know, and now that we're we're coming, we're we're swinging full, you know, full cycle now to the to the really um, to the to the harsh choice of are we going to continue to go this direction, you know, with this next election, man. It's 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 horrifying. I mean. It is the fact that people can't see that this guy's doing a really, 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 really bad job um, is, um, you know, like my my biggest question is, what's what's your M.O.? I don't understand it. Like, you know, is it fear? You know, a friend of mine told me the other day, he goes, he goes, I think it's fear. I think it's fear of retribution. You know, because if you admit that you um enslaved people and then you know 150 years ago when you freed them you 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 um you you stack the deck against them and that you um you know wiped out the 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 native americans and that you um did all this bad stuff that if you actually become um benevolent and nice and good that um you're going to deal with the backlash and I, I w and I wish it was that simple because I think it's way dumber than that in 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 the heart of man. But you know, I I don't I still don't get it. Like, how can you put up with this? I think you know. Again, it's it's a deep rabbit hole, and we're on the same side of this dialogue, uh, speaking about the administration and the election. But I I personally see it. Because I see the comments and I'm interacting with people all the time and reading mm -hmm. the hate, the hate and the vitriol is is the president, the sitting president or 45. We don't have to say his name. Uh, he's a symptom. He's yes. not the disease because take him out and everyone's still flying the Confederate flags. There's still the police brutality, systemic racism. I mean, he's yes. just emblematic of, of where we are. He's like taking our temperature as a culture. And right. so, so I'm even more troubled by 
the fact that he's been enabled and empowered and emboldened in such a way which speaks to how a lot of people really think. Yeah. And that's horrifying. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. It's like the, the fact that they're going along with it, you know, to the point that we're getting killed. <laughs> we're getting murdered out there, you know. It's yeah. like we, we, are, we are, you know, the fact that we have 160,000 people dead, you know, and, and, and South Korea with, the, with a country, you know, a sixth of our size has 300 you know, yeah. if, if think about that, eighteen hundred versus one hundred and sixty thousand, and everybody's still cool with it. Well, not everybody, but well, enough, yeah, but enough don't, people don't, that it's a problem. Yeah, that I mean, it's it just it's it's mind boggling, and and I'm going to uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna do some research. I got I have some family members, not my family immediately, but my but Deborah's Deborah's side of the family. I'm going to. Uh, I'm going to do some probing here shortly and, and start trying to figure out what what how, what makes you so willing to to go down like this, you know? Like what tell me just explain it to me, please. Yeah, you know, they're hard conversations to have. I'm glad that we're able to communicate like this. I had a similar one with Littlefield not long ago. And yeah. uh, I wanted to, this is, <clears throat> might be a tough one, and I can also edit it out, but uh, you mentioned when we talked off air that you had just clicked over from a conversation with your daughter, you just took her up to school, and you said she's she's down and out. Now, I've been having a lot of troubling conversations with family members, my fiancé and her father as well, and that's really the thing I'm getting. When I say troubling, they're not all adversarial, they're just difficult because of what's right. happening. So... Um, there's solidarity there, just knowing that other people are also having these hard talks. And that's why I'm going there on the show instead of just music nerd stuff, because we got to, right? Right, right. So exactly. what's that like when you get that call from your daughter and, and she's struggling with the, you know, what she's experiencing? It's, you know, it's disturbing, but, you know, um, she is, um, she's very solid as a human, like, like way, way solid. She kind of amazes me, but you know, um, it's sad. It's just sad to have to comfort, you know, have to comfort her in, in a situation where she just realizes how, um, how mean everybody is, you know, it's like, you know, she's in Arizona and Arizona's, you know, kind of gone stuck on stupid, you know? And so there's, you know, there's the blue lives matter and the, uh, and the, and the flags and the, you know, and the Trump 2020 and the, you know, and just realizing that all those people don't give a rat's ass about you as a person of color. And, um, you know, and that, and that they are dangerous and, and, you know, and, and raw. It's, it's, it's scary. And so it's, you know, it's, it's hard to it's hard to like you know to go yeah it's going to be perfect it's going to be fine but you know but we, we you know we come from an optimistic place as as a family so you know we're able to to get past it and go yeah I'm going to just forge ahead you know good man that's, that that's inspiring to hear and and of course I mean when you talk Arizona I can't help but think. You know, Chuck D, Public Enemy, by the time I get to Arizona, that was 91, Fear of a Black Planet, in right. response to no MLK Day. They were the only state without Martin Luther King Day. 
Yeah. And now we are 29 years later, and they're they're still stuck on stupid, as you said. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. unfortunate, and it's demoralizing. That's why we need to have these conversations that are more inspirational. Otherwise, those kind of realities can really get you down. You know, yeah. looking out the yeah. looking out the window. Yep. So thank you for uh, for answering that honestly and personally. I want to finish maybe on like a cooler, happier note. If uh-huh. that's cool, I'd be remiss, you know, uh, if we didn't talk just a little stones. Um, only because I may have told you the story once or twice, but uh, my best friend growing up. Jason is a huge Stones fan, like, like fanatical, like we are about the dead or I am about you. Right. Uh, and we've seen many shows together. He worked at the TLA for years when you played there, etc. So when I got in trouble, I got arrested. I went to jail for a year. Mm-hmm. Um, the week that that happened was the week you got hired. <laughs> so when my boy didn't hear from me or my respond to his texts for days, that's how he knew I was in some shit. <laughs> so <laughs> I had this sort of bittersweet memory of you and the stones. Hilarious. Yeah, you were freaking locked up. Yeah, yeah. So oh, I didn't get to live the Carl joins the stones in real time. <laughs> right. Uh, but I did, it's funny, uh, while I was in there, that we get the radio station locally, KVMR, they play High Sierra every day. So I did hear you play at High Sierra from my jail cell uh, with Nikki Glassby on the drums, High Sierra 2015. It's one of my... One of the best nights in jail was uh-huh. uh, KDTU on the airwaves for an hour and a half. But, uh, how'd you How'd you get to hear that? Uh, I, because they, we could through commissary, we could get a little transistor radio and earbuds, and we could buy batteries every week. So that's pretty much what I spent the few dollars I had on my commissary was to you know keep batteries etc. And uh, I listened religiously to music. I listened to the hip hop shows on the Sacramento stations. I listened to the little college radio station, NPR, uh-huh. etc. Anyway, there's a local radio station that broadcasts High Sierra every year. That's awesome. And uh, so I was able to listen to you play a show from incarceration. But that's not what I wanted to ask about it. I wanted to ask about the Stones. Um, just in general, like a lot of twists and turns to your career. You know, you started out doing big things as a sideman for Lenny. And then you kind of broke it down to the club level and built a career with two plus other bands, you know, playing theaters and such. And now you're all the way back, not just playing arenas, but stadiums around the world. And a certain amount of like validation comes with that, I imagine. But what did it feel like when you first stepped out on stage with the greatest rock and roll band of all time? Oh man, night one. Night one was in, uh, was in, uh, um, um, Adelaide. Okay. Uh, um, um, Australia. Pretty sure it was Adelaide was the first place. And, um, you know, it was just surreal, uh, surreal, Brian. It was, I mean, the, the, you know, when I, when I got the gig, when I actually knew I had the gig and, and, and I was actually going, my first reaction was, was, I'm going to die before this happens. <laughs> There's no fucking way I'm actually going to get to go to Australia and really play with the Stones. Like, there's no way it's going to happen. So, so the, you know, the whole thing was just completely surreal. And, um, you know, to this day, it, like, I, it, it's never lost on me, just the fact that, you know, I ended up, you know, getting this gig and, and, um, 
you know, it's just kind of an amazing thing of like, you know, from my from from a from a parent standpoint, it's such a great um, feather in my cap. Just so I can tell my kids, you know, yeah, you just keep plugging, man. You just got to keep plugging, and, and you you know, you never know what's going to happen because that's really what this was all about. It was just completely out of the blue, and still feels like that. I can I can't imagine. I I mean, I I've, I've tried to. I've watched you know a number of your performances on YouTube and seen you take the brown sugar solo a bunch of times. Just like man, look at that. Just yeah, yeah. <laughs> pinching myself through a computer yeah. screen. So I you know. But I, I have to ask, was it Lenny that gave you the handoff? How did that go down? Yeah, yeah, it was Lenny, man. It was the same. It was the same as as the other night. You know, he's always calling me from um, from from. Um, unknown numbers and I, and, I, and I don't and I don't answer unknown numbers so like like that that was back in, in well, that was 2014 right. and uh, um, he I, I, I was at guitar center it's so funny I was buying my first guitar I was I, I bought my first guitar and I came back to the car and I saw on my phone that I had a it was either one or two calls from an unknown number. And so I went home and, um, and Dela from slightly stupid came over and we were working on his record and we're sitting there and then I get, and I get the call again and, and I'm like, Hmm, maybe, maybe I should answer this because you know, somebody's trying to get me in it. It's the same unknown number, but I'm going to answer this time. So I answer it. And it's Lenny. And, um, and I was just at a point in my life where I really wasn't looking for anything else. I was kind of like, you know what, this is where I'm at. And I, w I was, you know, making it, not, not, <laughs> not, not killing it, but I was making it, you know. And, uh, and so I, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm good. Everything's good. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be this guy. And, uh, so here's Lenny on the phone, and and he goes, uh, yeah, I got somebody that needs somebody to go on the road, and I was like, ah, I'm kind of burnt, man. I'm like, <laughs> I got enough, I got enough touring gigs, you know, and uh, and he goes, I think you might want to, you might want to check into this one, <laughs> <laughs> and he mentions the Stones, and I'm looking at Dela, and and saying, Lenny Kravitz, are you offering me the Rolling Stones gig right now? <laughs> It was wow. completely mind-boggling. Oh, uh, man. What a rush. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. It was just like, come on. And uh, so, yeah, and so then like a week later, I mean, we, we sent music to the Stones. They liked it. And a week later, I was having a, um, a uh, Skype call with Mick. Oh, man. I was in the studio. I was in the studio with Dela working on his record, and we we had a Skype call. And it's so funny. The the, the <laughs> I love him to this day because he recorded it. Like I I didn't think to record it, but Dela pulled out his phone and started recording. Right, you know, as soon as Mick started mentioning song titles. Oh wow! So he still got. So I got like a, a eight minute phone call with me and Mick. You know, that's in my computer now. Oh. Man, you better back that up three times, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that is incredible, man. 
Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, it wasn't just like a gig playing the Stone songs. You're stepping into a legendary, iconic role, the late Bobby Keys. Did, were, you, right. were you ready to go or did you, have to hit, did you have to hit the books on Bobby Keys' licks? I had to hit the books only because, just to re-familiarize myself with him, but I was pretty much ready to go because I've been a Bobby Keys fan for years. So it was, um, you know, it's funny. I was telling somebody I, I, I had the uh, when when um, when Clarence Clemens died. The big man. Yeah, we had, um, you know, me and Eric. Me and Eric were kind of, you know, rooting around in the bushes to see how feasible getting that gig would be. But I wasn't really, um, I'm, not, I'm not a Bruce Springsteen fan, so I didn't really know the music. Whereas with the Rolling Stones, I'm a full Bobby Keys fan and a full Stones fan, so, so it was a good fit. Yeah, you're telling me. It's a great fit. Uh, it's, a, it's a point of pride for the music community that I know you from. The people, like, I've had more conversations, because like, I'm, you know, I'm a Carl Denson super fan, so I have a lot of conversations right. about you with folks and, you know, in innumerable amounts about the Stones, but we've never really talked about it like this, so thanks for, you know, the ringside seat fly on the wall to how it went down. And, you know, and I appreciate the, the support, because I really felt good about getting the gig, um... For you guys, you know, like I, there was so much, there was so much good feedback when I got the gig from people just being happy for me that it really felt like a family thing. It sure is, man, and it's it's incredible. And I hopefully, you know, I know they had to cut the, pull the plug on the last thing, but I've never seen you perform with them, but I hope to do so. It's, it's only fitting given that I've seen you play with well, everyone else. Yes, if if we go back out. And I was kind of doubtful, you know. I mean, I still am. I just think with their age and and this virus and yeah, and so. our leaders and our leadership, I don't I don't kind of see how we can do it. But when I talked to Lenny the other day, he was like, he was like, yeah, oh man, they still want, Mick still wants to go out. He still wants to play music, and you know, so if we can get this under control in a, in a decent amount of time. So if that happens, you just let me know, and we'll figure out a show for you. Oh, that is such a kind offer, my friend. Yeah. It would be a privilege. It'll be, it'll be fun. Indeed. Yeah, man. Wow, thank you for, for just that offer, whether it happens or not. Yes. Much appreciated. Of course. And, and to finish off with one question, maybe the only thing I've ever been asked about more than the Stones is... Coming to America. <laughs> Again, I don't think, other than seeing you do the sexual chocolate show on Jam Cruise or whatever, I don't think I've ever really asked about it. Um, how does that fucking happen, dude? Well, it just, <laughs> isn't it funny? Things, it's how hilarious. Things just, how things just fall in your lap. Yes. I was, I was playing with a band called Kush back in the late 80s. It was, uh, that was 88 when that came out. And uh, um, the drummer, um, Jeff Suttles, he, was, um, he, was, he got a gig working on the Paramount lot 
as John Landis's gopher. You know, and John found out that he had a band. He took a look at us somehow and wrote us into the movie. <laughs> Man, how yeah. cool is that? Yeah, exactly. And 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 to top it all off, bro. I'm in the new movie. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Breaking news. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's only fitting. Yeah, we made the new movie. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be really fun. Well, I cannot wait for that. And, yeah, it's a, again, another point of, you know, nostalgic pride for fans of the yeah. Diesel is the sexual chocolate scene. Uh, and, of course, man, I had to ask, so... I'll Thank tell you, you. Mom, the funnest part of that, of doing that movie, is having people that I've known for years watch the movie and see me for the first time. It's so freaking funny when I get a text like, "Dude, oh yes, people still figuring you, it out." Are you <laughs> <laughs> like that? Is that's the best thing? I bet that never gets old. Probably gets never. funnier the further because, away from the movie yeah, you are. Yeah, because it's people that, you know, it's like my girlfriend. You know, my, my girlfriend, like, having seen the movie countless times and and then realizing, are you in that movie? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That's rich. Yeah. Yeah, it's really funny. This is just fantastic, dude. You know, I, I sketched it out. I dreamt it up a certain way talking to you like this, but it was even better. All right, all right. Well, you know, it's good to hear from you, man. It's that's been the that's been one of the um, one of the uh, benefits of this time off. I really have had this kind of time to to reconnect with friends, and it's been really nice. You know, like just think yes. think. You know, like I I I um I had a dream. I had a dream with Nikki Glaspie in it, and <laughs> and. Like like months ago, and I just, you know, was able to reach out to her and go, you know what, you were just in my dream, and I just thought I should call you. And, it, and it's been like that. I've I've had probably five dreams with people that I that I needed to 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 reconnect with, and and you know, and just get on the phone and talk for forty five minutes. You know, it's been really good. Agreed. I've had a number of those conversations with friends from all walks of my yeah. life. I have one with my mom every day. We've talked every day since the pandemic started. I mean, we usually talk a couple times a week, but I wanted to finish with just one sort of... Hey, give, give her my love, by the way. I absolutely will. Yeah, I wanted to just tell you that, you know, I didn't always have this super fun and funky relationship with my mom. You know, I was a troubled kid. I struggled with drugs. Obviously, we know I got in some trouble. But mm -hmm. beginning with a show you played in some obscure town in Pennsylvania with the KD3 trio, like when the Tiny Universe was on hiatus, like, oh, six. Right. I took my mom to see you and my late father, actually, the only time he ever came out for that. But the point of this was, is over the past 15 years, as you know, my relationship with my mom has been more than words, you know, like really mm -hmm. turned a corner into what family is all about. And. I don't know that there's more of a soundtrack to that than your music, whether it's Jazz Fest or TLA in Philly. I've sent her to a number of your shows, just her. Yeah. While I'm out here. I, know, like, I love that. I love that. And so I just wanted to thank you, you know, unbeknownst to you, you really gave us 
the space to reconnect and rehabilitate and kind of rebirth our, our familial thing. So I know that's super heavy. I wasn't sure if I was going to tell you that, but I wanted you to know that you've really been instrumental in just... I'm a little of a clamp right now. You have to talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> All right. Well, that's the point, man. It was, it's really that's a big part of my passion for you, the music you make, who you are as a human, which is so evidenced in this dialogue, is, is rooted in that. You, know, you, you helped bring me and my mom back together. So thank you. Oh, that's awesome. So with that, man, we'll sign off. Maybe one day uh, we'll do it again in person, and we can nerd out on more Lenny and, and other parts yes, of sir. your career. Big yes, it's really great to hear from you, man. Yeah, likewise. Thank you for being so generous with your time. All right, man. I'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Later. Bye-bye. Quite brilliant. All right, this goes out to all the ladies in the house, the ladies at home, the little ladies, the big ladies, the old ladies, the young ladies. Cause we like the ladies. Indeedy. Deep, deep bow gratitude to Carl Denson for joining us and blessing up the Upful Life podcast. Uh, I can't even describe uh, how good it felt to just chop it up with my man because, as I noted in the intro and during the conversation, he's been such a seismic influence on me in so many ways and there was a certain amount of deliverance that came with not just interviewing him but him taking it there so again carl i am so grateful that you felt like you could talk to us and me like that and i am honored that you chose this podcast to deliver those messages i want to say thank you for that Hop in the Wayback Machine, relive in all those glories. I do hope you tell Lenny Kravitz about me, and uh, I also sincerely hope that I get to see you rock a stadium with the greatest rock and roll band of all time. So from your lips to Ja ears, Carl D., like we always do about this time, the Vibe Junkie Jam. But uh, naturally, this isn't your average podcast, so we're going to have to play a couple of jams. What you're hearing in the background right now is because of her beauty, which still makes the hairs on my neck stand up. Such a beautiful song, so funky, so sultry and authentic, black, 
and beautiful. This is from Jam Cruise 04, right in the heart of the glory days of KDTU when I would hop in the minivan and go wherever the hell they were playing. So uh, I'm going to play a few tracks from Carl's Journey for the Vibe Junkie Jams on episode 37. And of course, you know I have to start with one Lenny Kravitz. And I actually saw Carl play with Lenny once uh, on the Are You Gonna Go My Way tour. Blind Melon opened the show. was at the Tower Theater. I didn't know who Carl was at the time, but I did the math. He was still in the mix. Uh, I'm going to play one of my favorite uh, Lenny Kravitz songs that I once sang with my band, The Invisible Hand, a lifetime ago in Burlington, Vermont. Always on the run. Mama Said. Live from Rotterdam in 91 with Carl D. It's got a absolutely titanic funk jam tacked onto the end. And you can really hear the embryonic seeds of what would become the early Tiny Universe vibe. That cosmic funkadelic mix of Hendrix and James Brown and P-Funk and hip-hop. Man, Lenny maybe even didn't realize it but he was he was treading that ground and exploring that uh and then carl kind of took that mojo and ran with it and that was the one of the tiny universe blueprints for a time and and you'll still hear him slay it down like that but i'm gonna uh i'm gonna play that lenny cut mama said always on the run from 91 craig ross on guitar just killing And then we're going to get into uh, a little bit of a curveball from the Tiny Universe. Uh, You know, of course, they're a super funky band, and there's tons of funk, bags of funk, literally, uh, to dig into. But towards the end of the the first chapter, I should say, like uh, before they took their hiatus in 06, 07, uh, they explored this slow house vibe on a song called Once You're There. Now, it had this sort of stacked vocal harmonies that we love from like a D'Angelo voodoo era, but it was also at the, at the apex of the uh, you know, 1.0 Jamtronica scene. And of course, you know, a lot of bands had to put a little unce in their step, and the diesel was no different. But of course, it wasn't some wanking sort of uh, real shreddy Jamtronica. It was vibe... It was vibe It was uh, really super sensual and beautiful, sexy. So I'm going to play a uh, one of the few high-quality live versions of Once You're There that I could find. Really obscure song that it's even hard to find the studio version. They put it out on like an EP or as a single. Carl's People, if you're listening to this, you should make that available because that song is awesome. And it, much like I played Odysseus a couple shows ago with Littlefield, that that chestnut of an old school Carl D song that they uh, brought back out from the depths. I would recommend the same for Once You're There. I just loved that song and I danced my ass off to it the half dozen or so times I caught it live and it's been retired. But that said, Once You're There will be the middle jam. And then to wrap it up, I'm going to play something from DJ Greyboy. I already played... Uh, Unwind Your Mind Early, which was the seminal song that really lit the fuse, as Carl explained uh, in the conversation. 
I'm going to play a song called Roughneck Jazz that's on the first uh, proper DJ Grey Boy LP, Freestyling. It's the first song, and uh, actually Carl Denson is not on it. He's on one track on that record, uh, it's called Who's Gonna Be the Junkie. But the other saxophonist and flautist uh, that collaborated with DJ Grey Boy on Freestyling is a fellow named Harold Todd, another San Diego cat who... Just to bring it full circle, when Carl left Lenny Kravitz's band to do the Grey Boy All-Stars, as he so explained, his uh, role in Lenny's band was filled by none other than Harold Tatt. So all the roots of that whole thing are really uh, captured in those early DJ Grey Boy records. And the first song of Freestyling is Roughneck Jazz, and it's got an incredible upright bass line. It's so hard. It's hip-hop as fuck. And, and again, when I talk about opening the floodgates for music, uh, when we heard Roughneck Jazz for the first time, it was revolutionary. And we didn't know Carl wasn't on it until the liner notes and all that stuff. It doesn't matter. It's, it's just a heater. And I know Carl you know, would appreciate showing a little love to his brother in saxophones and flutes and Lenny the one and only Harold Todd. So there you have it. You're getting Mama Said from 91. You're getting Once You're There from 2005. And you're going to get Roughneck Jazz, which actually, let me pull out my DJ Grey Boy signed vinyl and check uh, 1993 Ubiquity Records. And that'll wrap it up for episode 37 of the Upful Life podcast. Coming at you all the way live from the 215 Illadelphs Illist. You know how we do. Goodbye. Job bless. Wubba, wubba, wubba. Yes, indeedy. This Spody Odie jam, I didn't plan it, it just worked out like that. When I stopped talking, they went into it. It's on the uh, Jam Cruise, January 8th, 2004 on archive.org. Just one of those cosmic timing things that worked out. I did forget to plug Apple Podcast, rate and review the show, please. It goes so far. If you dug this episode, tell a friend, rate, review the podcast, or send me an email, b.gets at upfullife.com. And this is called Always On The Run. And my mama said